الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين اللهم اجعلنا منهم ومن الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر أمين يا رب العالمين ثم ما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم هل أتاك حديث الغاشية وجوه يومئذ خاشعة عاملة ناصبة تصلى نارا حامية تسقى من عين آنية ليس لهم طعام إلا من ضريع لا يسمن ولا يغني من جوع وجوه يومئذ ناعمة بسعيها راضية في جنة عالية لا تسمع فيها لاغية فيها عين جارية فيها سرر مرفوعة وأكواب موبوعة ونمارق مصفوفة وزرابي مبثوثة أفلا ينظرون إلى الإبل كيف خلقت وإلى السماء كيف رفعت وإلى الجبال كيف نصبت وإلى الأرض كيف سطحت فذكر إنما أنت مذكر لست عليهم بمسيطر إلا من تولى وكفر فيعذبه الله العذاب الأكبر إن إلينا إيابهم ثم إن علينا حسابهم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحد العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي واللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا إله إلا الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله ثم ما بعد The previous surah mentioned two kinds of people that Allah Azza wa Jal depicted and these were the people that were headed for the hellfire and then the people that were headed for paradise but the surah ended by highlighting the people that are headed in the wrong direction by the comments when Allah said dunya. Rather all of you give preference You give more weight to worldly life So obviously Allah is criticizing And pointing out the reality of people Who give preference to worldly life Meaning they're headed for failure in the end Now these are the people that are being addressed In the very beginning of the next surah Now in order to understand The placement of the ayah that we begin with Today in Surah Al-Ghashiyah Surah number 88 Hal ghashiyah the address is to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We know this by because of the, the pronoun, the attached pronoun, ka. Hal ataka hadithul ghashiyah. The ka referring to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now the benefit of knowing this is as follows. You see in the previous surah, the, towards the last part of the previous surah, there was an address to the, to the kuffar directly in the second person. You give preference to worldly life. The, the you is second person. But now there's another second person. Now Allah is talking to His Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, saying, "Did the news of the overwhelming covering event, Ghashia, that which covers, did the news of that come to you? Meaning, come to you, O Muhammad, sallallahu alaihi wasallam? It is as though Allah has turned away from the kuffar and now is talking to His Messenger, 
sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and that's the tra transition we're trying to understand. The benefits of these kinds of transitions are many, and we'll talk about them as the, uh, we continue our study of the ayah. But let's just first note some things about this format of speech. Hal ataka. We find this elsewhere in the Quran. In Surah Taha, Allah Azza wa Jal says, Hal ataka hadithu Musa. In Nazi'at and Taha, actually. Then in Surah Sa'd, Allah says, Hal ataka tabawa'u al-khasmu if tasawwaru al-mihrab. In Surah Al-Dhariyat, we find Hal ataka dhaifu Ibrahim, dhaifi Ibrahim, al-mukramin. We find in Surah Al-Buruj, we read already, Hal ataka hadithu al-junood, Fir'auna wa Thamud. So this format is used elsewhere in the Qur'an also. Now the word atta, let's take it piece by piece, the word atta means to come or to arrive. There's another word in Arabic for coming and arriving, which is ja'a. And we read this in other places too. For example, we read, فَإِذَا جَاءَتِ الصَّاخَةِ فَإِذَا جَاءَتِ الطَّامَّةُ الْكُبْرَةِ So the first question is, why not use ja'a here? Why use atta here? What's the difference between them? Why, why does Allah not say, subhanahu wa ta'ala, هَلْ جَاءَكَ حَدِيثُ الْغَاشِيَةِ What's the diff? Why did he say Hal Ataka Hadithul Ghashia? The word Ja'a is used for something enormous, something heavy. So something that has a lot of magnitude in it and is more powerful than the word Ja'a, or the one that it implies in its struggle, effort, weight, burden, these kinds of things, Ja'a is used. Something that is easier by comparison, Atta is used. When Atama, the, the drowning calamity, is spoken about, Asakha, right? Those are spoken about. Ja'a is used. But when the speech about them, Allah here does not say, Hal ja'atka al ghashiya. No, it's not ghashiya itself, it's hadithul ghashiya. The speech of the ghashiya. Ghashiya referring to the overwhelming and overshadowing calamity, being the, the day of judgment. But Allah is not talking about, did the day of judgment come to you? The news of the day of judgment. Did the news itself come to you? The news itself comes easily. The news itself is easy. The event itself is difficult. So when the event comes, Allah uses ja'a. Ja'at al sakha. Ja'at al tamat al kubra. But when simply the news of it is mentioned, by comparison, that's much lighter. So atta is used. And that's the, the, the eloquence of the word atta here in this text. The other thing is it's in a question format. Allah says, did the news of this not come to you? Or this, did the news of this come to you, O Muhammad wasallam? What's the point of asking this kind of a question? It's very simple. I mean, the, the ulama of, of uh, rhetoric, of balagha, of eloquence, explain it in technical terms, but the juice of it is as follows. You know, if you were my student, and you failed a test, right? And you're the, I'm the principal of the school, let's imagine. You failed the test. And then I come to the teacher who did his job. He did everything he was supposed to do. And I say to him, didn't you already teach them everything you were supposed to? You know, and I'm not really criticizing the teacher. Who am I now criticizing? The students, and I'm doing this in two ways. I've turned away from the students. I'm not even talking to them. It's, it's a show of my anger. The other is, I'm talking to the teacher almost reinforcing that yes, he in fact did his job. It's not like he, anything was missing on his behalf. Allah is so angry at those who give preference to worldly life, that fail him after this incredible message came to him, to them. And so much so even after, after the, the evidences of the previous surah and the calls to reflect in Surah Al-A'la, there was another reason mentioned at the end. This is something that was in the scrolls given to Ibrahim and to Musa and we said this is particularly relevant mentioning both of these because these were the two groups, the Mushrikun of Quraysh and the people of the book, the Mushrikun of Quraysh tie their legacy to Ibrahim and the people of the book begin their legacy with Musa So it's not just that there's enough for you to reflect on in your own life, if you reflect on your legacy then this is the same conclusion you should be coming to and they don't. 
So now in threatening words, isn't it enough that the news of the, the covering event has come to you? Isn't that enough? So there's this address to the Messenger ﷺ in anger by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in retaliation in response to their lack of mo- movement, their lack of reaction. They feel nothing, even though this incredible news has come to them. So the, the surah begins with a depiction of punishment and torture, the horrors of the Day of Judgment. It quickly moves into the hellfire. Why the hellfire first? Because these were the people deserving hellfire that were mentioned at the end of the previous surah first. So it's connected to that discussion. The word hadith, it came up before when we, when we talked about ataka hadithu Musa, Let's re- review some things about the meanings of the word hadith. It literally means something that becomes manifest, like an event. Al-hadithah, or hudut, to occur, something that occurs, something that happens. It is also used in the meaning of something new. And in that sense, it, it's used even for an old event or for a known event. Like the, the mention of the Day of Judgment is over and over and over again in the Qur'an, so it's not something new. But when it is being brought to your attention as though you had heard it but never really thought about it, and it feels like this is the first time you're really internalizing it, then it's a new thing to you at that time. So the word hadith is being used here as though it is a new event. Now take, take a new look at it. Take a new look at it. So it's not just naba even, it is hadith. Hal-ataka, hadith. So now let's turn to the word ghashiya. Ghashiya comes from the verb ghashiya, yagsha, and the, and the masdar, the infinitive form, ghishawatun. This word is a, it's used many, many, many places in the Qur'an. In Surah Yusuf, it's the only place that this exact ism fa'il form is used. Uh, where Allah Azza wa Jal says, أَفَأَمِنُوا أَن تَأْتِيَهُمْ غَاشِيَةٌ مِنْ عَذَابِ رَبِّهِمْ That's the only place. Otherwise, other forms of the word ghashiya are used. Past, present, mustar, etc. Now this word, which literally means to cover something up entirely, is now being described, is being used in this ayah to describe the event of the next life. Qiyamah. It is an adjective of al-qiyamah. Al-qiyamah al-ghashiya. Now, this word itself tells us that Allah wants us to know about this day some things. One of which is it will overwhelm, it will cover the entire earth. This day and its, its events will cover. We've learned already in previous surahs that this event will start, or one of its worst you know, depictions will happen in the sky. The sky tearing up, turning into doors, right, and it being peeled. And of course the sky is that which covers us. So when the sky starts showing these signs, we are covered and enveloped in the signs of the ghashiyah. The other thing is, it's a, it's a beautiful connection to what already came in the previous surah. When we said, we talked repeatedly about dunya. You give preference to worldly life. Human beings are tied up in business or family or whatever other things, entertainment. Things that are keeping them away from realizing their real purpose in life. This one thing will overshadow and cover over everything that people have been running towards. It will over, it, almost like casting a shadow on their hearts. It will cast a shadow on all their goals, all their aspirations. A moment ago, before this event begins, somebody's worried about their business. Somebody's checking their balance and the, you know, they're checking their online bank statements. Some mother is feeding her child you know, some food. Some people are just having chit-chat conversations. Some people are making plans about moving, etc., etc. All of these things are happening, and a, and a split second later, all of that is overshadowed. All of that is covered with this event that undoes all those other things. All of those other plans and speeches and discussion and concern, all of them become irrelevant all of a sudden. So, ataka hadithul ghashiyah. Now, just a few other things about this, this istifham, this question form that Allah Azza wa uses in the ayah. Al-istifhamu fi hadhihi al-ayat wa ukhra, meaning in these kinds of ayat and others like them, 
فائده تصديق الأمر والحق من تقرير الخبر. As the Mufassirun comment, the benefit of this is that this confirms the matter. Didn't it come to you? Meaning it's for sure come to you. Didn't, didn't I, same way you talk to your child, you say, didn't I tell you to go there? Which means I for sure told you to go there, right? So that format, I have for, for certain Allah is saying, given you full depiction of the news of that event, but I'll present them to you in a new fashion altogether again. لِلتَّشْوِيقِ إِلَى اسْتِمَاعِ الْخَبْرِ this is done to call the attention of the listener. And this is done even now. Did I tell you to do this? Now when you say it like that, it's a threatening tone. And here, again, even though the address is to the messenger, وسلم, the real threat isn't to the messenger. It is to those who are not listening to the messenger. So Allah is doing two things at the same time. He's scolding the kuffar by these wordings. And at the same time, he's encouraging and acknowledging his support for his messenger وسلم, at the same time. Then the other thing in this, uh, as far as this ayah is concerned, there's a beautiful narration. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu passed by this woman. She was reciting Hal Ataka She was reciting this surah. He stood there, he stopped walking, he stopped. He just started listening to her. And then he said, Naam Qadjaani. Yes, it has come to me. But the wording of the Messenger وسلم, is not atani, it is ja'ani. It came to me, meaning this news was even heavy on him. Because ja'a is heavy and ata is light. So Allah used the light word, but the messengers, because it impacted him in such a heavy way, وسلم, he says, ja'ani, it has come to me. Then we go to the next ayah. Allah uses the word wujuh. It's very powerful. Faces. Faces. Usually what we call this in Arabic grammar is the mubtada. It's the beginning of a sentence. And it's supposed to be ma'rifah. Okay? Mu'arraf billam. It's supposed to be al-wujuhu yawma'idhin khashi'ah. That's the norm. Normally we expect an alif lam in the beginning of a sentence that is noun based. But here we don't see an alif lam. What that does for us is a few things. First of all, when we read the word wujuh, we can no longer translate it as faces. We have to translate it as some faces. The word some will occur because there's no alif lam there. Some faces. Others say also This tadween, what it does is it lets us know there will be many faces in this way. What, whoever, the faces being described are many, many in number. That comes from the tadween. And also there are some. So how is some and many together? It seems like they're contradictory ideas. The idea of many multitudes is there. But when I say some, then what I'm implying is there's another group. In other words, when wuju is used, yes, there will be many of them. But already we know Though Allah is describing a certain group of people and their faces, there necessarily will be coming another description of another group. Because when you say some people did this, then you're expecting other people did that. There's another expectation. And that expectation is generated linguistically by not mentioning Alif Lam here. And so we find later on, Wujuhun again. There will be another Wujuhun Yawma Na'ima, Lisa'iha That's coming up too, right? Now let's look at the description of these faces. First of all, Allah says, وُجُوهٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ This ظرف زمان, this, this object of time. Faces on that day. Usually an object of time in Arabic sentence structure is expected at the end. So, وُجُوهٌ خَاشِعَةٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ That is normally how the Arab would speak back in the day. But there's this taqdeem, it's been brought earlier. يَوْمَئِذٍ is in the middle of the mubtada and the khabar. Right? So you have وُجُوهٌ, then what was expected at the end in the middle, and then khashia at the end. Now what this shuffle does is it creates this effect called al-ikhtisar. And the way we translate that simply in English is, 
especially on that day, or it is only on that day that some faces, who will be many in number, are going to experience, there's going to be a, a, an expression on them, and that expression is the word khashi'ah. Khashi'ah. Now in the previous surah, we didn't have the word khushu'ah with a ayn at the end, we had the word khashia, khashia with a ya at the end. Okay? For example, in the previous surah, we read, we, we read سَيَذَّكَّرُ مَيْ يَخْشَى Yaksha, that was the word used there. What's the difference between khashya and khushu'a? Similar words, the, the kha and the sheen are there, but the last letter instead of ayn is a ya in the previous surah, right? Khashya is to be afraid of something bigger than yourself. But khushu'a is to be so afraid that your muscles become numb. You become weak in your bones, right? The fear starts paralyzing you. That is called khushu'a. That is something described of the state of a believer where? In the salah, that is khushu'a. It's not just fear felt in the heart, it starts affecting the rest of your body. It starts affecting your limbs. You can feel khushu'ah in your, in your bones, basically. That's the, that's the image of khushu'ah. Allah describes these faces on that day a step above khashiyah. He doesn't say, وُجُوهُنْ يَوْمَ إِذِنْ Right? He says, وُجُوهُنْ يَوْمَ إِذِنْ خَاشِعَةً The faces on that day will be overwhelmed with fear, so much so that there will be a numbness on them. There will be this overwhelming exhaustion and numbness on those faces as a result of that fear. Now the thing that's really interesting is, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions khushur, this idea of overwhelming fear, causing limbs to become loose, or limbs to become numb. He uses this for many different limbs on the Day of Judgment. For example, he says, خَاشِعَةً أَبْصَارُهُمْ تَرْهَقُهُمْ Right? Their eyes will experience khushur. Then he says, خَشِعَةِ الْأَصْوَاتِ لِلرَّحْمَانِ Voices meaning the tongues will become full of this khushu. They'll become, they'll start to stutter out of fear. Then Allah Azza wa Jal says, for example, uh, in, in this ayah here, the faces experience khushu. But for a believer, what experiences khushu? What does Allah describe? أَلَمْ Right? The qalb, the hearts experience khushu. But for the kafir, it's, this is beautiful, for the disbeliever on the day of judgment, Allah describes his eyes experience khushu. Allah describes his face experiences khushu. Overwhelming fear that numbs it. But Allah does not describe his heart. Because whose heart experiences khushu? The believer. So whenever you find khushu associated with the heart, that is only mentioned in case of the believer. Allah does not grant that honor to the disbeliever. Because when you give khushu, that, that, that uh, verb of khushu, when you give it to any other limb, then it's actually humiliating. But when you give it to the heart, it shows humility to Allah. But when you say, my eyes became, my, my eyes have khushur, or were full of khushur, right? Or my face has khushur. Then the ulama of tafsir, in, in explaining this ayah, comment, this is ghayat al-dhul. This is the, the nth degree, or this is the extreme amount of humiliation heaped upon this person, that they've reached the state of fear, that they've been overwhelmed, subhanAllah. The other thing that's interesting is Allah does mention the fear of hearts for disbelievers in one place. Allah says, قُلُوبٌ يَوْمَ إِذِنْ وَاجِفَةٌ We've read this already, right? Wajif is used. And what's amazing is, the Arab used to say, أَوْجَفْتُ الْخَيْلَةٌ I caused the, the horse to become scared. When I slapped the horse really hard, it got scared. In other words, the word used for fear of the disbeliever is the one the Arab used to use for animals. Allah did not use khushu' for the kafir's heart, but he uses wajif, which is only used by the Arab for who? For animals. SubhanAllah, this is a tahqeer. This is a, an insult to the kafir that his heart does not fear except like the fear of an animal. 
Instead of fearing Allah, what, the, what is the heart fearing? It's fearing the calamities that are going around. There's much greater to fear than even the calamities on the Day of Judgment, and that is the fear of Allah Himself, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now, هَلْ أَتَاكَ حَدِيثٌ غَاشِيَةٌ وُجُوهٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ خَاشِعَةٌ Now, uh, this is again, in the previous surah we said, سَيَذَّكَّرُ مَنْ يَخْشَى the, the, Who will take benefit of reminder, who will actually soon internalize reminder is the one who fears. But now a state worse than fear has been described by using the word al-khushu'ah. عَامِلَةٌ نَاصِبَةٌ The word amal is very common. A lot of people know what amal means. It means work. Amila means these faces that have been put to work. How does a face get put to work? You ever see someone who comes home from a long day of work, what they look like? You could tell from their face that they're exhausted, that they've been working. The face of a worker and the face of someone on vacation are two different faces. It's like when you, when you come back from vacation to your job, people say, I don't recognize you. You look like a different person. Because your face, your wajh is no longer amil. Your face is not overwhelmed by the, the, it doesn't have the look of exhaustion and work on it. Allah uses this, this word to describe a few things. Number one, on the day of judgment, it illustrates that there's some work going on. On the day of judgment, when these events, this ghashiyah starts overcovering, then you're running around trying to escape. Right? There's people trying to find a place to hide, something that they can, they can find some kind of refuge in, and they're exhausting themselves doing so. Then we know on the day of judgment, we have to stand for a re- really long time in a laborsome kind of way and answer a lot of questions. This is, this is an exhausting activity, so amila is used. But others like, for example, Ibn Abbas anhu comments in his tafsir of the word amila here, that this was in the case of dunya. So he says, وَذَٰلِكَ لِأَنَّهُمْ لَمْ يَخْشُوا اللَّهَ فِي الدُّنْيَا فَلَمْ يَعْمَلُوا لَهُ فَلَمْ يَنْصِبُوا فِي طَاعَتِهِ أَجْسَادَهُمْ فَأَضْطَرَّهُمْ فِي ذَٰلِكَ الْيَوْمِ إِلَىٰ أَعْظَمَ Subhanallah. Ibn Abbas anhu says, this state of them being exhausted is because they did not work in dunya. In this dunya, they did not do the works, the actions that Allah had demanded of them. And they exhausted themselves in things other than dunya, other than Islam, for dunya itself. So you will have, you know, we're not the only ones who work hard to provide for a family, right? One time this Christian monk came to, to Umar radiallahu anhu. And he was very old, you could tell he has given his life in worship, in Christian worship. And Umar radiallahu anhu saw him and he started crying. And the Sahaba asked him, why are you crying? This, you know, what made you cry? And he looked at, he looked at the Christian monk and he said, Aamilatun nasiba. You know, this, this monk has exhausted his labor. Worked night, you know, hours and hours and hours of a day. Years and years of his life. Given up his youth for a kind of worship that Allah will not accept. How sad is that state? So he felt sorry enough to cry for that person, subhanAllah. Right? So this is the idea of amila, false worship. People are engaged in false worship. Another kind of amal that people engage ourselves, this is the kind of worship we do nowadays, where the messenger cursed, Ta'isa Abdul Dinar, Dinar wa Abdul Dirham, right? May the slave of the literally dollar, dollar and cent, right? Dinar and Dirham, may they be destroyed. We give our entire lives to work. We give them up to work. You, you go to work, you're, con- you're, you're concentrated on you know, expanding your career and making it higher and higher up the corporate ladder. You're on vacation, you're talking to people about work. Even when you, you bring work at home, you take work to work and you bring it at home, your whole life becomes work. You're working, working, working. And the only, you know, you talk to an engineer, all they want to talk about is engineering stuff. Even when they're not at the office. You talk to an accountant, man, taxes this year. 
right? That's what they want to talk about. You talk to somebody in medicine, that's all they want to talk about is medicine, right? Their, their careers become so much so, and some psychologists say, <clears throat> you know, you are what you do, right? So they become just that. You ask them, who are you or what are you? They'll say, I'm an accountant, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a physician. No, I'm a human being, I'm a Muslim, right? There are other things you are. This is just a small part of what you are, right? But you just identify yourselves as that, and that becomes you. And so all you have to show for yourself is advancement in this career. You've built this empire in a business, or you've built your name, your reputation with this tenure in this company, right? Or you've waited all the way to like, you know, this top level executive position. And you're tired after all those years. People lose their, you know, destroy their marriages before family, right, for, for, for their careers. People <coughs> lose uh, touch with their children. Their children rebel and leave the home. The only reason they come to their parents is because their parents are a good cash register for them, right? All for what? What are their lives gone in? They're gone in work. And now they come before Allah on the day of judgment. You know, you figure when you, when you die, now it's time to rest. That's why they, in English even they say, rest in peace. But these people are raised exhausted. They are raised, amila. Their faces are still exhausted. And what is ahead of them? Can you imagine? These, these disbelieving people who gave preference to worldly life, didn't even enjoy dunya. They were working 70 hours a week, 50 hours a week, commuting half of their lives, in a, they spent their half their lives stuck in traffic in a car, right? Just exhausting themselves. And now they're tired, now they're standing in front of Allah. Guess what? That was, that was vacation compared to what is coming. Now they have to stand in front of Allah, now they have to head into the hellfire. But are they prepared physically to be ready for that? They're already exhausted. Amila. And above Amila, Nasiba, the next adjective. The word Nasib means to be pegged inside the ground. Nasib literally means to be pegged. Also, it's, a, it's from Asma al-Abdad, it means to be prominent. Another thing it means, it, because it's from the uh, Asma al-Abdad, it means to be wobbly. Meaning so tired you can't even stand straight. You're completely overrun by work. You just want to crash. You just want to crash, right? Now the idea, you know what they do in uh, especially like uh, expensive hotels? or luxury homes, or that, those kinds of places, they look very comfortable, very inviting beds, lots of cushions on the beds, big couches, nice lounge. The idea of making you feel relaxed, because they're designed mostly for executives, right? Who do these long trips, or they have a long flight, or they have these long, long meetings, they're tired. So they, the, the marketing is, you want to give them a sense of relaxation. There's water flowing, there's waterfall inside the lobby of the hotel. This is modern stuff, right? Nice couches, cushions, these are just things to relax with. There's a bar right around the corner. That's what they usually do with glasses hanging there, right? This is the scene that's being depicted. Now, on the Day of Judgment, this guy is finally done with work. He wants to come and relax. They're completely overrun by work. But let's see what Allah Azza wa Jal has installed for them. They will be throwing themselves. Tasla is not in the passive, in the mabni ala al-majhul form. This is in the Ma'roof form. Binayat al-fa'il. This is the construction where the subject is known. They themselves are throwing themselves in. Let's see what Alusi rahimahullah in Ruh al-Ma'ani has to say. فَأُحِيطَ بِهَا مِن كُلِّ جَانِبٍ وَهُوَ يَدُلُّ عَلَى غَايَةِ الذُّلِّ لِأَنَّ مَنْ فَعَلَ بِنَفْسِهِ هَذَا لَا يَكُونَ إِلَّا كَذَلِكَ Allah says, he says rather, that they will be completely overrun by fire. They will be surrounded in all, by all sides in fire. And this illustrates the worst kind of humiliation because what, what other result other than humiliation can there be if they themselves are doing the act? Because tasla doesn't mean they will be thrown, it means they will throw themselves. 
they will go in themselves. Now the word tasla has a ta in the beginning, which refers to the ta at ta'nith, the ta for feminine, and the feminine is being used because wujuh, faces, is a broken plural, jam'a taksir, and the, the, that's what it's used for. In other words, faces will cast themselves in. Now think about that. If there's a fire or anything be hurled towards your body, what's the natural instinct of the human being? What do they protect first? You protect your face. You put your arm out, immediately it comes out. There's a natural instinct to guard your face. And Allah describes in this surah, what are they throwing into the fire willingly? Willingly first. What are they chucking in first? Their face. Tasla, the ta illustrates the faces going into the fire. Subhanallah. Tasla naran hamiya. Let's see. Now what, how this word hamiya, which is a new adjective for the fire, is understood. Hamaytul maridha, ma yaburruhu. This is an expression of the Arab. I prevented the patient, patient from getting things or eating things that would have harmed him. Hama in Arabic, or himaya, literally in its most raw form, means to prevent something from you. To keep you from getting something. So naran hamiya, it's some kind of a preventative fire. Now what the word hamiya... Another thing that it means is a scorching flame of like the desert sun is also called hami. Okay? Hamat al-shams, the Arab would say. That the sun became scorching, scorching hot. So now, one of the meanings of hamiya here, of course, is that it's scorching fire. But the other is it's got some sort of a preventative feature. It prevents your skin from burning off. Because if it burnt off, the pain would be over. But it, it prevents it from burning off. It prevents you from getting any rest. It prevents you from getting any, any breaks, any stop in the pain, subhanAllah. All of this by Allah Azza wa Jal giving the adjective hamiya, naran hamiya. Allahumma la taj'alna min ashab al-nar. Tasla naran hamiya, tusqa min aynin aniya. These faces will be given to drink. Now again, people are not being described, their faces are being described. We should understand the tone of the surah. Why the faces are being highlighted? Expressions, emotions, dignity, right? Arrogance, humility, all of these things are manifest where on a human being. You can't tell if I'm arrogant or not from my hands. Where do you tell it from? My face. The way I, the, the, the facial expression, the body language, most of it which is captured on the face. Fear is captured on the face. Anger is, anger is captured on the face. <coughs> now those same faces that used to consume the haram, they used to consume the haram. Now as a result, what are they going to get in the, in the akhirah? Tusqa, those faces will be given to drink. And literally, siqaya in Arabic is to give somebody to drink in their mouth. Meaning literally they open their mouth and you pour it in it. Right? This is siqaya. Usually it's done for animals, but it can also be done for people. Right? So you just pour the water out and they're drinking like that. Right? Now, what this illustrates is, first of all, they went into this scorching fire. There's absolutely no relief. So now they're desperate. They got to find relief somewhere. So the... Relief from fire naturally comes from where? From water. So Allah Azza wa Jal describes Ain. They will be given to drink from a spring. From Ain is a spring. And Ain, interestingly in Arabic, is only used for beautiful and good things. Because the Arab, of course, they're in the desert. So one of the most valuable things to them, a fantasy to them, is to see a water spring, a waterfall, water gushing out. And this is the word Ain. Ain is also used for the eye. Because it, you know, it sheds a tear. So water comes out and it's, it looks like it's moist all the time And that's why the word Ayn is also used for the eye Anything that looks really good to the eye They would also call Ayn Sometimes in Arabic poetry They'd call a beautiful horse Ayn The Quran calls Thurun Ayn Because they're beautiful to look at Ayn is used, right? So the word Ayn usually has a very positive uh, meaning But here, 
So they're going to be given to drink from Ain. So you figure, okay, now at least they get some relief. But Allah gives an adjective to that Ain, which is Aniya. You know, Ana Ya'ni in Arabic, from it comes the Arabic expression Al-An. Many of you have heard the word Al-An before, now, right? An, an is a, the, the uh, ism fa'il version or the active participle version of the word ana. And what it means actually is two things. It has two meanings in it. Of the time to have come. Al-an means now. Time to have come. Also means when you boil water or any liquid and it's the time has come where it's reached the final boiling point where it's actually bubbling up. Right? And it's intense and it's bubbling. The final, final time of boiling. That's the time that it becomes ania. So the spring is gushing out water, but it only starts gushing when it's reaching the most intense part of the heat. And where is this water coming? Right onto their faces. Their faces are being made to consume. Tusqa min aynin ania. Subhanallah. What punishment after punishment Allah describes. As if tasla, naran hamia wasn't intense enough. Now on top of this, tusqa min aynin ania. Now if you go to the first word in the surah, al-ghashiyah. That which covers up. Two things have already covered the people up. These kuffar, they have once been covered up by the fire. Right? Their faces will be covered by fire. On the other hand now, they are covered in boiling water. They are covered in this intense heat of the fire, of the, of the water. Now, the next ayah, inshallah ta'ala, before, actually before we go to the next ayah, one last thing in this ayah. This, the word Ain literally also means a spring that comes out. Okay, So this is actually a spring inside the hellfire whose only purpose is to gush out boiling water, bubbling boiling water. Another word for boiling water or really hot water is Ghalyun, which is used, for example, in Surah Al-Dukhan. يَغْلِي فِي الْبُطُونِ الْحَمِيمِ But the difference between Ghali and you know, uh, here, Ain and Aniya, the difference between them is Ghali means water that boils, rises up. It froths up. And Allah describes that horrendous punishment that that water is inside their stomach and it starts frothing up. But so adds to the torture even within their bodies when they drink that water. May Allah protect us again from the tortures of the hellfire. The word tusqa in the end I mentioned again. Some have uh, in a different qira'ah of the ayah read, recited instead of tusqa, tasqa. And the difference that would make is that it would become active. Meaning they will themselves go to drink. If you read tusqa, the implication is they're being held and water is being poured on them. If you read tasqa, it means they are so desperate from the fire that they themselves go into the water and they try to drink even though it's bubbling hot. Even they themselves go. That's what that little change of harakah means. Inshallah, how much time do we have left? Do you have a little bit of time? 33? Okay, we could probably do one more ayah, inshallah. Or two more ayat. لَيْسَ لَهُمْ طَعَامٌ إِلَّا مِنْ Now we've spoken about drink. The next logical thing to talk about is food. They will have no, they have no food for them. The first thing I should note about this is that laysa usually occurs and normally occurs in the Arabic language for present tense, for immediate situations. Okay? It is not for the future, it is not for the past, it is for the immediate present. But this burning in the hellfire and torture, when is that going to happen? In the future. Why is Allah talking about that in the present? This itself illustrates the anger of Allah on these people. It is as though they are already there. They are being asked to imagine themselves already there. As though right now they have nothing to eat for themselves except bariya. Now the word lahum, which is jarwa majroor, it's supposed to be at the end. Again, it's brought in the beginning. This taqdeem, what it says is, it is, 
it is for those people especially that there will be no food at all. لَيْسَ لَهُمْ طَعَامٌ No food will be there at all for them. The format illustrates that there will be food for others. There will be food for others. It is not for them that there will be any food. Implying there will be food for others. The implication of others is there because the word lahum is in the beginning. Had it been laysa ta'amun lahum, then there would be no implication of others. So even by saying laysa lahum ta'amun, it is a threat and an illustration of anger against the kuffar. But at the same time, it is actually a mercy implied to the believers because you will have food. They will have something to eat. لَيْسَ لَهُمْ طَعَامٌ إِلَّا مِنْ ضَرِيَةٌ Except the only thing they will eat from is مِنْ ضَرِيَةٌ Now the word min is really important too. From out of this thing Allah calls ضَرِيَةٌ ضَرِيَةٌ in Arabic literature is two things. One it's used for raw seaweed. Like the, the nasty seaweed that pulls up on the shore. Right, that animals don't even like to eat and human beings for, cer for certain wouldn't want to eat unless it's somehow processed or whatever. <coughs> The other is the word dhari is used for a thorny kind of plant in the Arab uh, you know, terrain called shibriq. And this plant has a lot of very sharp, long thorns. And animals usually try to graze, but they don't graze near it because when they try to eat it, it hits them in their face. It pokes them in their face and causes them to bleed. So it's poisonous and thorny and itchy. And it's the last thing the animal would want to do is eat from it. The only animal that can try and eat from it is the camel. And that will become important as we continue our study of the surah. The camel, they have you know, thicker lips, and they, have, they can consume and they can chew on even tough and rough things. And this is part of the amazing you know, miracle of the, 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 the camel, that it can survive in a place like the desert, you know, for a goat or for a cow, you have to provide them food. But the, even a poor man could own a camel because he doesn't have to provide food. It can go eat any shrubs or anything, it can survive. Anyhow, Allah says they will not have any kind of food except this bariya. There are three kinds of food that Allah mentions in the Qur'an in the hellfire. There's zaqoom, there's ghislin, there's ghislin, and then there is this word, dhari'ah. Most ulama comment that dhari'ah is the general word for all the things underneath. So zaqoom is a kind of dhari'ah, and ghislin is a kind of dhari'ah. So dhari'ah is the most comprehensive term. Now the word dhari'ah, again, this thorny food, Allah did not, did not say, لَيْسَ لَهُمْ طَعَامٌ إِلَّا dhari'an. He said, إِلَّا مِنْ dhari'ah. <coughs> the lahum illustrates that they'll actually be going looking for food for themselves. They'll have to go look around for food. And that their stomachs will force them to look around for food. Now when they're looking around for food, they see this horrible plant. And they have to actually go into that plant and eat it. And as they're trying to go in, what is happening already? They're, they're not being served that plant. They have to minbadiya. They have to go from it and get it from there. So they're actually being tortured by, by even the contact of the plant. <coughs> Not to mention the fact that they're eating it. The last thing I should comment about this ayah, the present tense form. If the kafir hears these ayat, this threatening tone, because you know the previous surah ended sort of on a soft note. It said, بَلْ تُؤْثِرُونَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ وَأَبْقَى The hereafter is better and longer lasting. It's soft advice. It's not saying you better listen. But it's saying no, there's better for you in the hereafter. But now if soft advice doesn't work, just like in any form of education, you try to tell the kids in a classroom, calm down nicely, calm down nicely. What happens at the end? Who wants to go to the principal's office? Right? It turns to that state. Now, Allah starts softly. And think about your legacy. Suhufi Ibrahim wa Musa, soft advice. But if that doesn't work, if you're still not willing to listen, then let's turn to what, you're really, what might work for you. 
And even as harsh as these ayat are, if they penetrate into the heart of the disbeliever and it scares him to rethink his life, that is a mercy too. Even that is a mercy. The knowledge of the most horrible punishments of Quran, that they themselves are a mercy from Allah Azza wa Jal. So they, every time the kafir now decides to eat food, you know what's going to come to his mind? I actually have nothing to eat except dariyah. Because it's mentioned in the present tense. It's going to make him think twice. If he has an ounce of fear left in him, subhanAllah. But some kuffar didn't even have that. So what did they do? وَيُرْوَى أَنَّ كُفَّارَ قُرَيْشٍ قَالُوا لَمَّا سَمِعُوا صَدْرَ الْآيَةِ إِنَّ الضَّرِيعَ لَتُسْمِنُ عَلَيْهِ إِبَلَنَا فَنَزَلَتْ لَا يُسْمِنُ Some of them said, these kuffar, they said, Oh, dari'ah? We're going to get dari'ah? That's not so bad. Our camels can eat it. They can survive. So they started making fun of the idea that Allah Azza wa Jal is going to give them dariyah. Allah responded the next ayah, La tusminu. It will not give, and tusmin, what the word they use, that it, give, it makes our camels fat and tough, and they can survive in the desert, so we'll get tough too. Allah says, La tusminu. It doesn't add to your fat. In other words, it's not, it doesn't have any nutrition for your body. None whatsoever. It's not nutrition at all. وَلَا يُغْنِي مِنْ جُوعٍ And worse even, first of all, it's not nutritious. And that's not so bad for the kafir, because even nowadays we eat a lot of things that aren't nutritious. Right? People consume things that are not nutritious and say, what's the big deal? I can have not nutritious things. But Allah says one thing further. He says, وَلَا يُغْنِي مِنْ جُوعٍ And it will not make them free of need from hunger. It will not relieve them from feeling the need to feed themselves. In other words, they'll keep eating and keep eating and keep eating. And you know, already we learned that they went after the food out of desperation. And now when you finish eating, you know, before your order comes at the restaurant, you're sitting there, when's it coming, man, I've been here for 10 minutes, I'm going to tear this plate up. When you're done eating, you say, oh, I think I ate too much. You know, you don't, I can't even look at it anymore, just pack it up for me, right? That's the, yeah, that happens. But imagine these people, they're eating the worst kind of food. The worst, it's not even food. <coughs> the two things that food is supposed to do is first, it should, you know, it should taste like something. It should add to your, it somehow it benefits your body. And then it relieves your hunger. The two essential functions of food. None of them are being provided by this dhari. And can they still stop? They still keep on going. When you, when you taste something disgusting, what do you do? What's your first natural reaction? Blech. You, get, you throw, spit it out of your mouth or you say, no more thanks. It's great, but I just have a bad stomach right now. Or you make an excuse. You don't want to eat anymore. But these kuffar are being made to eat over and over and over again, adding further to their humiliation. May Allah save us from the humiliation of the hellfire. On that note, inshallah, because the, next, the rest of the surah now starts talking about the other faces, wujuhun yawma idhin na'imah, we'll give them their due, inshallah, after the break. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala sayyidil anbiya'i wal mursaleen. وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين اللهم اجعلنا منهم ومن الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر آمين يا رب العالمين ثم أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وجوه يومئذ ناعمة We begin with ayah number 8 of سورة القاشية سورة 88 The surah now takes a turn towards depicting the other kinds of faces We said in the beginning of the study when we read the word wujuhun without the alif lam, it already indicated that another kind of faces will be depicted. A great many faces, may Allah make us from them, especially on that day 
are going to be in, uh, they're going to be na'ima. The previous adjective was khashia. This adjective is na'ima. There I mentioned the taqdeem of yawma idhin, but I didn't mention the benefit of it. When we say wujuhun yawma idhin khashia, it means it is on that day that they will be full of fear that will, that will enter their limbs. But what that necessarily also implies at the same time linguistically is that is not the case right now. They're not of in any kind of fear now. Similarly, wujuhun yawma idhin na'ima. It is on that day that they will be in, in ni'ma. And ni'ma literally uh, comes from nu'uma, softness, ease, relaxation. Aidata bahjatin wa sururin tudhiru alayha ni'ma wa nadra wa raha wa rifahiyya bididdi tilka nasiba. In other words, they're going to have all sorts of just, you know, relaxation, happiness, you know, uh, no, no stress, no, no signs of exhaustion or difficulty on them. Freshness, bahja, there's this texture and freshness on their face. This is how the tafsir, tafsir describe these people's faces, but on that day. And by saying on that day in the middle of the sentence, what it illustrates is, as, of, as the situation stands now, those who will enjoy the bliss of that day are going to have to put in a lot of work now. They're going to have to give their lives in toil now. It's not going to be easy. They're not going to have relaxation here. So we have this interesting contrast. You had these people who were also working hard, but in the wrong direction. But when they wake up on the Day of Judgment, they're waking up exhausted already. On the other hand, you have those who worked for the sake of Allah. They also exhausted themselves. But when they wake up, they wake up fresh. They wake up relaxed. There's like no toil on them. Now, and you, when you're fresh, you're ready to work. But instead of having more work for them, now there's even more relaxation for them. And on the other hand, when they were tired, when you're tired, you can't take any more. But when they were described, Amilatun Nasiba, their real toil and labor was ahead. Tasla naran hamiya, tusqamin aynin aniya, subhanallah. So wujuhun yawma idhin na'ima. Similarly, in other places we find, what we didn't do in this series at least, wujuhun yawma idhin nadira. Ila rabbiha nadira. This is in Surah Al-Qiyamah. We found in our series in Surah Abasa, wujuhun yawma idhin musfira, dahikatun mustabshira. We found that too. So here, na'ima, meaning, na'im literally means a fa the face you have when you're given a gift. Literally. Na'im, a face when you're given a gift. You're in, in response to a ni'ma, your face becomes na'ima. Ayman uma, really. Right? That which has been gifted. So this joy on your face. As you're uh, on that same day. May Allah give us our faces that joy on that day. Now the next ayah is truly beautiful. لِسَعِيهَا radiya. It is only for its, those, those faces, their efforts. The efforts of those people. Right? By, by really calling them, they, they here is those faces, literally. Those faces were, or meaning those people were engaged in some kinds of efforts. The word sa'i. Uh, we also read this word when we were reading about Fir'aun. That word came up over there. Uh, you know, it's a fast kind of a paced walk. Sa'i is when you're really busy doing something. Or you have a sense of urgency, a deadline, and you pace and you get things done. Right? Sa'i is done when you are really concerned about finishing a task. In other words, they, these people are very content. They will be content with the efforts that they had made diligently with a sense of urgency in this dunya. That's all of that, that's the diligence, sense of urgency, putting their efforts in and energy in, all of that is captured by the word sa'i. But what's really beautiful in this ayah, in the grammar of it, is it is only for the efforts that led to the benefit of the hereafter that they are content. So which efforts led them to the happiness of the last day? It is the efforts they made of salah, 
It is the efforts they made of, of tazkiyah. It is the efforts they made to remember Allah. The efforts they made, they made to stay away from the haram. The efforts they, they made to protect themselves and their family from hellfire. The, these are the efforts and the effort to spread the message of this deen, to defend the integrity of this deen, right? The, these are the efforts these people made. And there are other efforts they made too. They made efforts at work. They made efforts at business. They made efforts in other things. But those things don't even come to their mind on that day. It's like those things didn't even count. Right now, those things count a lot. But on that day, it's like, what was that about? Why did I waste my time doing all of that? Subhanallah. So now, let's see how Al-Ulusi, rahimahullah, comments on this. He says, لَمَّا رَأَتْ مِنْ ثَوَابِهِ تَوَدُّ أَنَّ جَمِيعَ سَعِيهَا فِي الدُّنْيَا كَانَ لِذَلِكَ when, he, when this person, these faces, when they see the reward of what they had done, they're going to wish that everything they had worked on in this world was for that. Meaning they, I, they wish they had no other project in this, in this dunya. And كَانَ ذَلِكَ السَّعِي الَّذِي هُوَ لِلْآخِرَةِ كَرِيهًا إِلَيْهَا فِي الدُّنْيَا لَا تُبَاشِرُهُ إِلَّا بِشَقِّ الْأَنفُسِ And the reality was when they were in this dunya, when they used to do work for, for the akhirah, they were kind of, they, to, they had to force themselves. Come on, come on, get up and go to the masjid. Come on, come on, let's do this. They have to force themselves to do work for the akhirah, but doing work for dunya comes easy. Right? It comes easy. Somebody says, let's go to the program. There's a, there's a lecture. There's a class. Or let's go memorize some Quran at the masjid or something. You seem like you're free. I don't know. I'm tired. I don't know the weather. I think it's going to rain today. Right? Then one of your friends calls, hey, let's go see a movie. Oh, yeah, let's go. Right? And it's 20 miles farther away than the masjid. But you're, it's all good. No effort. Doesn't even think, you don't even think twice. Then there's a fundraising dinner, right? And the masjid is trying to raise money, or the school is trying to raise money, or the da'wah project is trying to raise money. Brothers, just $10 everybody, $20 everybody's like, I don't know, there's a shortage, bad economy, I don't know what's going to happen. A shaytanu ya'idukumul faqr, right? Shaytan will come and promise you, uh, he's the one who's going to promise you poverty. And then you leave here and you take a turn, you enter Walmart. And how you do infaq fi sabili Walmart, you know, right? How quickly the money, you don't even count how it passes, you just throw things in the pay, oh this tastes good, this looks good, this is good, this is good. You throw it all in there, you don't even think twice. You don't even check the receipt how much it is, you just swipe the card, no big deal, it doesn't hurt. But when you have to give in the sake of Allah, it hurt. it pinches, oh man. I had a $1 bill and a $10 bill in my wallet. Why did I give the $10 bill, <laughs> right? If you think twice. So, the, 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 Lucy rightfully comments that it does, it does take effort to do things for, for deen. You know why? Because naturally human beings We love things immediately So that which comes to you right now The pleasure will come right now The food will come right now The entertainment will come right now We want to spend for it right now But Allah says I'll give you gardens and mansions And nice drinks and waterfalls And this and that But when is it going to come? You've got to wait a long time, right? So you say I'll work for it later Because it's coming later <laughs> Right? That's the attitude that sinks into the back of our minds Even if we don't say it with our tongues It's back here It's in here we got to get it out of here. So, The other linguistic thing that's really beautiful here, this sa'i was mentioned in the previous surah as قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ This was the one who was, who was successful. Interestingly, in the previous surah, the unsuccessful were mentioned first, right? And then the successful. And the same thing happens in this surah. The unsuccessful have been mentioned first, and now the successful, right? And there it was, the one who cleansed himself has truly attained success. The one who made an effort to cleanse himself, cleanse your bad habits, cleanse your tongue, cleanse your hands, cleanse your mannerisms, cleanse the way you spend your time, cleanse yourself. This is the person who has 
attain true success. And thereafter, after cleansing himself, now you find pleasure not in entertaining yourself and making yourself dirty again, but in remembering Allah. He mentioned the name of his Lord and then he made salah. Right? This is a result of cleansing oneself that salah just becomes natural. You find salah difficult? If you find salah, oh my God, it's 6 o'clock again, asr again? Oh, maghrib already? Can I wait? Can it wait just a little bit? If that's the case, then you know what the real problem is? Haven't really cleansed myself enough yet. That's what's, what's going on. Anyhow, there's a lam in the beginning, li. And this lam is interesting because rida usually comes with the harf ba. By the way, rida means to be satisfied with something, but it also means to be very happy with something that you get, to be completely content with something that you get. This is rida. Now, it usually comes with ba, like raditu billahi, right? Raditu bil islami deenan, right? وَبِمُحَمَّدٍ رَسُولًا صلى الله عليه وسلم. It comes with a ba, not with a lam. So Allah does not say بِسَعِيهَا رَضِيَةً He says لِسَعِيهَا with a lam لِسَعِيهَا رَضِيَةً The benefit of this is two things. If it said بِسَعِيهَا رَضِيَةً How some grammarians say it is in the meaning of ba, which is correct, that with its efforts it is happy. It's, it's happy with the things it did. But li also implies two other things. Li, then there's a hadh, li thawabi sa'iha radiya. It sees the reward and says, man, I'm so happy I did that. So that's one implication of that lamb, just that lamb there. The other implication of this lamb is another one. That for the opportunity of having been given, the, or for the, having been given the chance to work, it is happy. This per, these, per, these people, all of them, their faces will be full of joy because they acknowledge Allah gave them a chance to serve his deen. Li sa'iha radiya. For having the opportunity to make the effort, they are happy, they're content. So they are pleased with their Lord, not just because He gave them Jannah, because He honored them with doing things that please Him in this dunya. In other words, when you and I obey Allah, it is an honor from Allah. It is something we will thank Allah for. Of the things we will thank Him in paradise, one of the first things we'll thank Him for is He gave us the opportunity to serve Him. He gave us the opportunity to work for Him. You know, a job is a job, but when you get a really high-ranking job, and a really noble job, right? Or you get elected to a very high position, the, the person goes up and says, well, I'd like to thank, and this is a great honor, right? They, they acknowledge that this is something elevated. And that's really the attitude that is being instilled in us. Now, keep in mind, this is a Makki surah. And we already said, when the messenger said this, remember they said, oh, Dari'ah, uh, our camels can tough, tough that up. We can, we can swallow it too. It's all good, right? When the, when the Sahaba are making da'wah, they're being ridiculed. They're being insulted. And on the other hand, Allah is saying, no, no, you're honored. And you're going to be pleased. And you're the ones who are going to be relaxed. Right now, they're relaxed and you're going through toil. You're afraid. But this, the tables are going to turn. And Allah changes that perspective for the believers. Fi jannatin You know, I read this stuff. I read this stuff uh, when I was in high school or, or a little after high school. And I didn't get it. Like, okay, so Allah says they will be very pre pleased and they're going to be in high garden. Jannatin aliyah, high garden. I was like, what's the big deal? High garden, low garden. Right? But when, if, you, if you travel, and I, you don't travel much when you're a kid, but when you travel with your family, you go on a road trip, where do you pull over the car to enjoy the view? When you reach a high place and you can see far. When you go to a hotel, right? Unless you're a business executive who's just going to sleep. If you're going as a tourist, where do you want the hotel room? First floor or top floor? You want it on the top floor? You want the view. You want to be able to see, right? And then the, gardens, the, the, the garden on top of a hill. People go hiking, they go on top of the hill because that's the most beautiful part, right? So Allah says, first of all, they're content already. And on top of that, another pleasure 
And this is in contrast, contrast with the disbelievers were exhausted. On top of that, they were thrown in fire. On top of that, they were given that water. On top of that, they had no food except the riyah. Torture after torture after torture. Now pleasure after pleasure after pleasure. So Allah gives us these high gardens. May Allah give us those high gardens, all of us, right? And this is another kind of ghashiyah. Now Jannah is a lush garden. It surrounds you, it envelops you. You're up there on top of this hill in this high garden and you're surrounded by just things you can eat, all kinds of fruits, flowers, right? All kinds of vegetation. So you're surrounded by all of these things. Now, then he says, لا تسمع فيها لاغية. Now this tasma'u by the, almost the ijma' of the mufassirun, the ta in tasma'u is, uh, is, is uh, mutakallim, or not mutakallim, it's hadir. Second person. In other words, you, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa you will not hear in it any useless talk. You will not hear any useless talk. So, for a second, we were talking about the faces that are lit, the faces that are overjoyed, the faces that will have gardens, and then Allah starts talking to His Messenger sallallahu So who's the first one guaranteed Jannah? The Messenger of Allah. He says, you won't hear anything there. Because He's already guaranteed him that spot. He'll be there, and he won't hear anything, any nonsense. The other benefit of mentioning the nonsense, laghiya from lahu, and it's the ism fa'il form, what it does is lewd, shameless, you know, uh, thoughtless speech. When you say something without thinking about it, you say absurd things, obnoxious things, all of this counts under laghiya. He says to his messenger, sallallahu alayhi you will not hear any nonsense, any lewd, any vulgar speech when you get there. Why is that important to the messenger, sallallahu alayhi Because when he gives this da'wah to this noble word, what do people say in response? Don't they say lewd and vulgar and, and obnoxious things? Don't they say when they hear about dari' that the camel can handle it, I can handle it too? Inna fil hafira, we're going to be returned back, come on, get, get real. Right? Don't they call him insane? Don't they call him possessed by a jinn? They call him all of these hideous things. They say all these terrible things about Allah and his deen. And so Allah's messenger is told, you won't hear any of this over there. La tasma'u fiha. This in itself is a gift from Allah Azza wa Jal. But coming down, and by the way, this is mentioned in another place for us too. لا يسمعون فيها لغوا ولا كذابا لا يسمعون فيها لغوا ولا تأثيما صوت الواقع. So in Naba also, and then in Waqi also. So one of the pleasures of Jannah is there's no bad talk in Jannah. And the, the benefit of knowing that is, so what's the big deal? There's no bad talk. You see, evil speech or bad speech, in the end it hurts someone's feelings. No matter how rich you are and how well off you are, if your son or daughter or wife or mother, somebody talks to you in a hurtful way, is all of that money going to save you from not feeling bad? Right? You could be in the best place, but words can take all of your pleasure away. They can take, hurtful speech can take all of your pleasures away. So one of the gifts in paradise is there won't be any words that will hurt your feelings. There won't be any words that you will feel bad about. Nothing will come and, and penetrate into your heart. And if you look at the people who live, you think they live well in this life. You think that, you know, you go to their house and you say, wow, did you see their place? Man, that living room was huge. Did you see their backyard, etc., etc.? You figure they're happy, and guess what? You don't know when they have fights amongst each other. <coughs> and when the, the, the wife is shedding tears and crying because the husband said something. Or the children are yelling at the parents and the parents are shedding tears. I can't believe my own child said this to me. All that wealth doesn't amount to any pleasure. So this is one of the great joys of paradise. And from another point of view, you know, when we move to a neighborhood, like especially when you're buying a property, because this is not rental. In Jannah, it's your property now. Allah is giving it to you, right? There's no eviction notice. But when you're buying something, when you're buying land, 
you don't buy it at a low elevation. You buy it at high elevation. Because when there's going to be flooding or rain, what's going to happen to low elevation? It's going to be damaged. And the, the most expensive property in real estate is the property with the best kind of view. So you go to places like California or places like you know, Alabama or hilly areas, right? What's the most expensive properties? Top of the hills because they overlook everything. And the ones on bottom you can get cheaper because if something goes wrong, <laughs> right? then these are the first ones to take the brunt. So Allah says, no, 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 you'll be in high gardens. You'll be in high gardens. And of course, people want to move to a neighborhood where there's no, there's no you know, crude people outside hanging out on the street. They don't want to hear things in the, in the house. They don't want to hear honking of cars or people cursing outside and things like that. You look for those things. You go and check out a house, and then you saw the neighbors, and you say, maybe not this neighborhood. Maybe we should look somewhere else. This happens, right? So Allah says, لا تسمعوا فيها you won't hear, this is going to be a good neighborhood. <laughs> You're not going to hear bad stuff. You're not going to hear riffraff talking, subhanAllah. Right? So uh, this, this, these are the developments made by Allah Azza wa Jal. These are the estates waiting for, for His believers. May Allah give us these, grant us these estates. Fiha In those gardens, there's ayn, springs. And ayn, literally water springs, jariya, flowing. What this tells us, already we know it's a high garden. And in this garden now Allah says there's a spring. In other words, you're on top of a waterfall. The spring is coming and it's falling down, subhanAllah. Look at the contrast. What did the kafir get? Tusqa min aynin aniyan. SubhanAllah. They are given boiling water to forced on their face. And here you have, on the contrast, you have this believer in the, in the height of paradise enjoying this beautiful scene, including a waterfall that comes with it. I was telling you, you know, you go to these really, really exotic, expensive hotels, like you go to the Grand Hyatt and Grand Central in New York City. Right? Or some of the biggest hotels in LA. One of their features is they have waterfalls, you know, simulation type things in the lobby of the hotel. So when you walk in, you go, wow, this is like, take a picture next to that. Right? You go to some of the hotels and they want to make you feel like, you know, relaxed because travelers are stressed. You know how they make you feel relaxed? They put water fountains there. The simulation of water pouring and falling. You go to some of the most luxurious places in the, in the world where people think this is the life. You know, you go to Vegas, what do you see? I don't go to Vegas, but I'm saying, right? <laughs> right. You know, all, all these fountains of water. Human obsession with decorating life with water, with beautiful water. If you can't build one, I know people that, you know, if they own mansions, they don't have, they're in the desert out in Texas or Nevada or whatever. They don't have water there. So what do they do? They build themselves an artificial waterfall and the water's falling. And this, you know, there's this human obsession. And this is thousands of years old, but it's still going on in our head. We still have this in our head today. Doesn't he know who he created? He knows pretty well how he designed us. These things don't leave our system. Back in the day, it was a real waterfall. Now it's a nice faucet and a nice jacuzzi and all of that swimming pool in the back. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. So, fiha aynun jariya, flowing water. And one of the things about Quran and speaking about water that flows, you know, when it flows, it's fresh, right? But when it stands, it becomes stale. So, there's one place in Quran where Allah mentions water that doesn't flow. In Jannah. He says, Fiha anharum min ma'in. He says, They are in it, there are rivers made of, full of water. Then you figure, Allah did not men, mention jariya. Like for Jannah, he says, Tajri min It's flowing. So here in, in Surah Muhammad, he says, It's not flowing. It just says, they're, they're rivers, they're full of water, right? But then he says, Lam Whose taste doesn't change, meaning the water doesn't go stale. SubhanAllah. When he doesn't mention flowing, he still lets you know it's not going to go bad. Right? And this is part of the sensitivity of the language of the Qur'an. Fiha surun marfu'ah. Sarir in modern Arabic is a bed. But in ancient Arabic, it's not a bed. It's really a couch. 
A couch that you recline on, that you sit on, only rich people had it. Usually Arab tradition, everything was on the floor. If you go to a traditional Saudi, Kuwaiti, Khaliji family, or a traditional Yemeni family even today, even the ones that are well off, right? Big, huge house, furnished to the teeth, but where are you going to sit? On the floor. Everything's on the floor, right? It's part of the tradition from desert life. Because, you know, the Bedouin was always traveling. He can't exactly carry an Ikea couch on his back, right? Because that's going to be difficult. So they, they chill on the floor. That's just, it's a relaxed kind of setting, right? But those who were very wealthy and had forts and they were established, they didn't have to live the Bedouin life, now they can have this, these high beds or high couches designed for themselves. It, this was a sign of stability. This was a sign of you're not going anywhere. You're not a Bedouin who has to travel. Jannah Allah is offering us what? Stability. He's offering us stability. No matter how much you de decorate your home in this life, no matter how well, you know, how durable you think the material is, the granite top, top kitchen and the custom shelves and this fixture in the bathroom and that fencing and this and that, does it all go bad in the end? Yeah, somebody came 30 years before you and did the same thing and it went bad, right? But Allah Azza wa Jal, He gives us these, 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 these high, lofty couches. And then the, the word marfu'ah is an ism maf'ud, it's an objective noun. What that means is elevate, that which has been elevated. In other words, when you use the objective noun, what it implies is that there, somebody did it for you. Somebody did it for you. You know how you say custom made? Custom made. It means somebody made it for you. So marfu'ah, Allah actually engaged in the interior decor of your palace where he elevated your seat. And this sarir, this couch, nowadays, I'll give you parallel. Why is this, why is this appealing? You say, I could sit on a low couch too, it's all good. You know, the, already the garden is high. Now, people in high executive offices, you know if their office usually has what with it? An amazing view, right? And their seats are a little bit higher. People in a position of authority, like a judge, has a higher seat than everybody else. A presiding officer, a ceremony that is being presided, where does the person sit? In a higher place than everybody else. The idea of sitting up somewhere where you can see what you own. You can see the property, right? You can enjoy. People like sitting out in you know, their sunrooms or whatever because now they can see everything around them, right? This is the idea. In, in, in interior decoration, if you study interior decoration, you learn a lot about uh, human nature, which Allah talks about anyway. You know, they want you to put the couch in a place in your living room where you could see the, law, the whole house. It gives you a sense of space because it's in the strategically placed. So sururum marfu'ah, they've been elevated in, in this way. So when you sit on them, you see the vast, vast acreage that Allah has offered you. SubhanAllah. Sururum marfu'ah. Wa akwabun. And by the way, this is not my opinion. This is again from Al-Lusi rahimahullah in Ruh al-Ma'ani. He says, رَفَعَهَا رَافِعٌ عَظِيمٌ فِي السَّمَكِ وَهُوَ جِهَةُ الْعُلُوءِ لِيَرَى الْجَالِسَ عَلَيْهَا جَمِيعَ مُلْكِهِ So that the sailor can see everything that he owns. He can see it, sit there and go, wow, yeah, I made it. This is nice. You know, he sits back and says, it's nice. And even in this dunya, you can set your home up really nice, but you know what happens when you work so hard to get a beautiful home? You never get to enjoy it. Your living room's been sitting there, the only time it gets used is when some guest comes. Right, you don't get to enjoy it. You just go, you're cleaning, vacuuming, fixing this and that. You have, and you have to do everything yourself. Allah says, marfu'ah. Not rafi'ah, not just elevated. It has been elevated for you. <laughs> it's been done for you. Then wa akwabun mawdu'ah. Kub or kawb in Arabic is a cup that doesn't have handles. So it's large glasses. And they're designed as, they're slender in the middle, in the neck, and then they're wider on top. So kind of like champagne glasses nowadays, right? 
And so those glasses, they have a history, like exotic drinks, right? Now Allah says, Akwabun mawdu'a, they have already been placed. In other words, your dining table's already been set, the serving table, and mawdu'a means lowered. In other words, a waiter comes and he lowers the glass and puts it right in front of you. You don't even have to, you're already sitting on your chair, right? You don't want to get up. So the drink is brought and it's put before you, it's put down. Mawdu'a from wada' to place. It has been put down for you. And the ism form, you know, tuda' right? Or tuda' or wudi'at. Allah didn't use the verbal form. Why? Because you will drink and another will be placed. You will drink, another will be placed. They will constantly be placed for you. Mawdu'a. Again, I was reminded of this. You know, when you go to these exotic restaurants, they hang the glasses and they leave glasses on the tables as part of their decor. Like cheap restaurants don't do that. Like a fast food place is not going to have glasses on the table. But an expensive restaurant is going to leave the glasses on the table. And they're going to show glasses displayed in their bar or whatever. And this is their idea of showing exotic and expensive, right? And so Allah gives us this scene that for thousands of years has lasted in human civilization. SubhanAllah. Thousands of years and we're still in the same place. وَنَمَارِقُ masfufa. And then these, these cushions, namariq is wisada saghira, Lisan al-Arab says. It's a small pillow, small cushion, which you know, sitting on your couch, but it's not quite adjusted. You want to put a pillow over here, right? And it's just right. So Allah says, masfufa, rows and rows and rows of pillows. Rows and rows of, just tons and tons and tons of pillows. So you're basically jumping around and going crazy, right? You're just enjoying yourself. Everywhere you look, there's relaxation. And then he adds, وَزَرَابِيُّ مَبْثُوثَ the, And these, these uh, expensive, elegant uh, rugs, area rugs, you call them nowadays, right? Zarabi really, Al-Farra says that they are made of delicate fibers. That they're made of expensive, you know, rugs. I, I, I told you I used to live in New York City. One of the most common retail space in New York City is like exotic rugs, right? So you have like Merrill Lynch, and then you have exotic rugs, right? And you have whatever, uh, exotic rugs are all over the city, all over. It's, and why do they have them there? Who's buying them? The most, you know, top level execs for their offices, they want to get these exotic rugs for their mansions, for their lofts, for their penthouses, right? The idea of having an exotic rug, it's the centerpiece of your home. You want to show people this was stitched in Persia or this or that or the other, right? Now Allah says, Mabthutha. They're spread all as far as the eye can see. You see all these different beautiful area rugs. Just all over. So cushions and a, just a massive, massive, massive living room for you to chill in. How many area rugs in our living rooms? <laughs> right? How many couches? How many cushions? Allah is offering us, subhanAllah, that which to this day we run after. To this day. To this day. When you want to get yourself a home, you look for a high elevation, you look for a garden, you look for a nice kitchen, you want to decorate it beautifully when you eat, you want, to, you want it to look nice, subhanAllah. Allah gives us all of these things that are innate in human nature. Now the subject turns. You remember they poked fun of the punishment in the hellfire and they said our camels can handle it. Allah says, fine, you brought up the camel. Haven't they then looked already, aren't they already looking carefully enough at the camel, ibil. Many words for camel are used in Arabic. Jamal is used. Many others are used. Actually, some, some teachers of Arabic say if you don't know what it means, it probably means camel. Right? There's, there's that many <laughs> words in Arabic for camel. But the most general word for camel is ibil. That's the most general word for camel. Allah says, didn't they look carefully enough towards the, the camel? How it was created? Kaifa khuliqat? How it was created? In other words, Allah didn't say, kaifa khalaqnahu? 
how we created it. He didn't say that. He said how it was created. The passive form is used. In other words, instead of going that far, I don't expect, Allah does not expect from these people to give credit to Allah. Just ponder on the camel itself. You brought it up yourselves. And why the camel? Why not anything else? First, they brought it up. Secondly, in the life of the desert, what was, what was associated with their survival? The camel. And it's an incredible creature. Of the domesticated animals, the biggest one is the camel. A child can control a camel. Even though a camel can easily crush a human being, not to mention a child. And the camel is a very high ride. And the camel is incredibly custom designed, like Allah mentions this custom design for our living in paradise. Talk about custom design for life in the desert. This, this creature can survive with minimal water for days and days and days on end, like nothing else can. It can feed itself off of shrubs and, and herbs that nothing else can feed itself off of. It can survive in these conditions. On top of that, it's got this incredible seating on top that's, that's you know, uh, comfortable. And it stores its own food. It has all these, and it's got milk in a place where you have no liquids, it's shortage of fluids. It's got milk to offer you. When it becomes too old and dies, its skin can benefit you. And its meat benefits them. So there's all these benefits that come from the camel in their life. Allah says, didn't, didn't you look to the camel and how, it, in, in how many ways it benefits you? Look at another thing Allah Azza says. In another place Allah said, فَلْيَنظُرِ الْإِنسَانُ إِلَىٰ طَعَامِهِ We read this. Let the human being look carefully to his meal. He said, فَلْيَنظُرِ الْإِنسَانُ مِمَّا خُلِقْ خُلِقَ مِمَّا إِنْدَافِقْ Let the human being look into how, what he was created from. But now not مِمَّا خُلِقَ how was it created? How is it that this creature is designed perfectly for this environment? It's, it's every aspect of its creation, one way or another, fits the place and the services that it's provide, it's provi it provides. It is actually almost a tafsir of الَّذِي خَلَقَ فَهَدَى He created it, he calculated it precisely, and he guided it to its activities. So it's guided to these things. Even on a hungry stomach, it continues to do work. It's a very toiling kind of creature, and it shows loyalty to the human being. In this regard, so there are many things to reflect on when it comes to the creation of the camel, but the ones we want to highlight in this context comes from a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that is considered hadith. Al-mu'minuna hayyinuna layyinun. True believers are easygoing. Hayyin. Easygoing. Layyinun, very lenient. And then he says, كَالْجَمَلِ الْآنِفِ like the, like the camel that's been marked in its nose. You know they put that peg in, the, 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 the ring around the nose of the camel? It's been d domesticated, right? Then he says, إِنْقِيدَ inqada. If it's told, if it's made to stand, it just stands up. وَإِذَا أُنِيخَ عَلَى صَخْرَةٍ istanaha. And when it's told to sit even on a, on a, on a harsh boulder, like a, like a scorching boulder, it still sits down. Such a high creature, I mean you have to look up to this creature. But when you want to ride it, what does it do? Allah created it with two knees. Right, so it comes all the way down. It comes all the way down and you can sit on it. Allah, it's a sign of humility. This massive creature is humble before its master. What is Allah teaching us? Allah is teaching us humility through this creature. He, he describes the believer that he should be like this. He's easy going, easily obeys Allah, doesn't talk back. You know, when, even when it's told to sit on something difficult, it sits down and relaxes. SubhanAllah. Didn't they look to this camel? Didn't they look to this camel, how it was created? And now this is amazing, the scenery of the Qur'an and how Allah wants us to depict things. First, it was reflect on this gift Allah has given you. That in and of itself should be enough for you to become a humble slave. Because Allah shows you what slavery and loyalty mean by means of that camel. 
Allah shows you his perfection in creation by means of that camel. There's so many ways to reflect on that camel. Then he says, وَإِلَى السَّمَاءِ كَيْفَ رُفِعَتْ And towards the sky. Doesn't he look towards the sky, how it was elevated above him? And you know, by saying رُفِعَتْ, there's already a clue. Haven't there been numerous surahs already, incredible amounts of discourse already, on how the sky is going to come crashing down? And how it's all going to end? So now first reflect on the camel. Now you're on the camel. You look up, you look at the sky, reflect on it, and you will know. How, th- how was it up there? And it will remind you how it's going to come down too. How it's all going to come to an end. كَيْفَ رُفِعَتْ Then وَإِذَا الْجِبَالِ كَيْفَ نُصِبَتْ And the word نَصَبَ It's amazing. It's from أَسْمَاءِ الْأَضَّالِ It's from words that are in and of themselves. They mean something and they're opposite at the same time. Allah says, and to Didn't they look? So you're on the camel. You looked at the camel. You looked at the sky. You look around you. What do you see in the distance? Mountains. وَإِذَا الْجِبَالِ كَيْفَ نُصِبَتْ didn't they look to the, and, and then, ilal uh, jibal rather, towards the mountains, how were they pegged into the ground? Nusibat, to be pegged, also means to be outward and to be apparent. So for example, in Arabic expression, nasabahu sharra, he made an open display of his evil. Similarly, nasabarasahu, he raised his head. So at the same time it's lowering, at the same time it means elevating, and it's a beautiful depiction of mountains, because they go deep in the ground, and they are also above the ground, subhanAllah, at the same time. The other thing about nasaba, remember amilatun nasiba, right? Now the word nasiba there also meant wobbly and wavering. Is this part of the destiny of the mountain? Is it one day going to wobble? Is it one day going to waver? Subhanallah. How one word depicts the current reality of this creature and what is going to happen to it when its destiny is fulfilled. When Allah Azza wa describes وَإِذَا الْجِبَالُ سُيِّرَتْ All of that has been captured by Allah saying وَإِلَى الْجِبَالِ كَيْفَ نُصِبَتْ وَإِلَى الْجِبَالِ كَيْفَ نُصِبَتْ Now he looks to the mountain, then he looks down and what does he see? The earth. وَإِلَى الْأَرْضِ كَيْفَ سُطِحَتْ And didn't he look towards the earth? How سُطِحَتْ has commonly been translated, how it has been made vast. How it's been flattened and made vast. سَطَحَ has two things in it, to spread something out and to smoothen it, right? To make it smooth, right? Two things. But what's incredible, now okay, the, the earth is incredibly flat, yes. But the choice of the word is so incredibly remarkable. The whole purpose of the surah from beginning to end was to remind the human beings where they're headed, what their destiny is, what their destination is. It's the ghashia, right? That ghashia cannot be denied. The word sataha in Arabic, satah, actually gets used for the ceiling of a house. It's used for the ceiling of the house. For example, Imam Raghib al-Asfahani says, as-sathu a'la al-bayt ju'ila sawiyan. The highest part of a house that's made a roof. Wait a minute, the earth is being called what? How it's made like a roof. Because one day, unavoidably, all of us will be underneath and it will be our roof. Subhanallah. All of us will be in that position. It will become our roof. Subhanallah. And it will be smoothed over us. You know, the grave is dug, the human being is poured in, then the dirt is pushed over and it's been made smooth. So not only do you reflect on the flatness of the earth, but it's also a reminder of where we are headed just by use of the word sutihat, subhanallah. Now after this powerful reminder, the beautiful words of Allah that were repeated in the previous surah. In the previous surah Allah said, فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّ فَعَتِ الذِّكْرَى Remind if reminder has a benefit. Here he says, فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مُذَكِّرْ Basically Allah is giving tafsir of the previous ayah. In, pre- in Surah Al-A'la, Allah said, remind if benefit serves to have any ben- if reminder serves to have any benefit. Now he goes a step further and explains what that means. Then remind. Again, no object has been mentioned. No, remind them. 
فَذَكِّرْ هُمْ No, فَذَكِّرْ No object. In other words, whether somebody listens or not, what do you do? Remind. You just remind. That's your job. That's it. Don't worry about what, it, what effect it has on people. Maybe it'll have an effect. Maybe it won't have an effect. Maybe it'll have an effect much, much later. Abu Sufyan becomes a Muslim a lot later, right? But he heard it a lot earlier. The magicians with Musa alayhi salam heard the message a lot earlier. But then when they saw the miracle eventually, they accepted Islam. And they understood to make sajda. They knew they have the akhirah is coming. They knew all of that because they heard the message already. So, فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مُذَكِّرْ you are nothing more than a mean, a reminder, a deliverer of reminder, mudakkir. You are nothing more than a deliverer of reminder. This has been is summarizing the career of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam once again. The work of da'wah is boiled down to the work of reminding human beings. In other words, reminding them of their the past failures of past human beings. That's a memory. Reminding them of what Allah has informed them of the future. Reminding them of the covenant they had made with Allah already before they even came on this earth, they made a covenant. Remember that covenant, Reminding them of the, the, the inner conscience that tells them themselves this is wrong and this is right. Reminding them to, to, to know their, their honor that Allah has bestowed upon them as human beings. Then Allah adds, You know, in the previous surah, Allah said, The only one who will benefit from reminder is the one who fears himself. Man yakhsha, that was in, the, in Surah Al-A'la. Now he says, you are not at all over them. You, are not, you have not been placed, placed upon them as a musaytir. What is a musaytir? Al-musallatu ala shay'in liyushrifa alayhi wa yata'ahada ahwalahu wa yaktubu amalahu. The good definition of al-musaytir. A musaytir is someone placed in charge, diligently in charge over someone. So that he may monitor every single thing that he does, control everything that he does, and to record all of its activities. Like a, a guard in prison, it's not just guarding the gate, but guarding the guy himself. He can't do anything unless the, the, the guard, the watch, watchman over him lets him. So the Messenger of Allah is told, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you can't force them. You can't watch over them and guard them and pull them into the Jannah. And what this illustrates is, you would think this is condescending to the Messenger وسلم, or Allah scolding his Messenger None at all. This is not the case. What's happening here is it illustrates the Messenger is so worried وسلم, about these disbelievers who are in the end his people. They're in the end Quraysh. He's so worried that if the words don't work, he wants to pull them into Islam. But imagine, he's not in a position of power, they are. He's only in a position to give words. He doesn't have any military at his disposal. But he's still willing to go and literally try to force them to accept out of desperation and good for them. Allah says, no, you don't have to worry that much for them. You're, you haven't been sent as a guardian over them to watch every one of their moves. You can't force them. And this occurs in another place. Allah Azzawajal in Surah Qaf, He says, وَمَا أَنْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ You are not you know, in any way, shape, or form going to force them at all. You are not placed as one, you haven't been installed as someone who can force them in any way. The reminder in and of itself is enough. They have to find it in themselves. That's it. And this is, by the way, a beautiful illustration of la ikraha fid deen. There's no forcing anyone in their religion. You can't force them. Even the messenger is told, you're not there to force them. You're just there to, nothing more than remind. Remind, remind, remind. Now imagine the power of reminder. Imagine the power of reminder, subhanAllah, in, in the context of our deen. That we, you hear a khutbah, you hear a speech, you say, I've already heard this. But you know Allah says, فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّ فَعَتِ الذِّكْرَةِ فَذَكِّرْ وَإِنَّ الذِّكْرَةَ تَنْفَعُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Reminder will benefit believers. 
reminder helps. Even if you know. You know you have to study for a test, but you're not doing it. And your friend comes over and says, man, you better study. And you go, yeah, you're right, I should. And you go start studying. You, didn't you know you had to study? You did. But did the reminder benefit? It helped you. Right? This is a need of the human being to benefit from reminders. SubhanAllah. So Allah Azza wa tells His Messenger, لَسْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِمُصَيْسِرِ إِلَّا مَنْ تَوَلَّا وَكَفَرْ Now the word illa is interesting because linguistically it can come in the meaning of lakinna. How, uh, so it, uh, how we would translate this as is, as far as the one who turned away and disbelieved is concerned. But the other thing here is, the word illa is literally an exception. And Allah did use it in the surah. Except the one who disbelieved, and except the one who turned away and disbelieved. So the meaning would be, you are in a position to have authority over them, to force them. And the only exception will be those who turned away and disbelieved. The way this meaning comes out is, eventually the messenger will be victorious, and he will have authority over every one of their moves, and then he will say to them, لا تثريب عليكم اليوم There is no harm coming to you today. But will he have eventually a complete authority over them? Yes. And that's captured just in the word illa. But now in the, in the regular sense, however, the one who turned away and disbelieved, this is the past tense that's been used, tawalla wa kafara, which illustrates the anger of Allah. In the previous surah we found, وَيَتَجَنَّبُهَا الْأَشْقَى يَتَجَنَّبُ is mudara'. it's the present tense. The person who turns away over and over and over again. Present tense has istimrar, continuity in it. But in this surah, the anger of Allah is manifest. Whoever turned away at this point and still disbelieved, even once, this past tense illustrates oneness, al-hudut, singular event. Even if that happens now, <coughs> then Allah will torture him. Then Allah will torture him. Now Allah mentions his name. He doesn't say, Uddiba. He will be tortured. You know, khuliqat. How, it was, how was it created? He used the passive form before. But now he mentions his name. Allah will torture him. And it's almost as though he is telling his messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, at that point the case is hopeless. There's no reason for you to remind them after that. Allah will punish them. Now the word adab. You know, adab comes from the word adab in Arabic. Adab al-rajulu, for example. When a person leaves eating or uh, eating because of severe dehydration, it hurts them to even eat because they're dying of dehydration. This is called adab. And from it we get the word adab. It's one of the worst kinds of punishment you can suffer, is dying of dehydration. So adab literally means punishment, but it's really a, a torturous or a painful kind of punishment. Allah will ex ex uh, excruciatingly then giving a, give him a torture. Al-adab al-akbar. Adab again. Twice. Yu'adhibuhu adab. And then if adab wasn't enough, al-adab al-akbar. The, the greatest punishment. So the greatest punishment is for what? Allah Azza wa Jal says, إِلَّا مَنْ تَوَلَّا وَكَفَرَ إِلَّا مَنْ تَوَلَّا وَكَفَرَ He turned away and disbelieved. Meaning he was being given the reminder. What did he turn away from? What's the context? The context is that of being reminded. He walked away from the reminder and denied it. And denied it. You know Allah Azza wa Jal says, فَلَا صَدَّقَ وَلَا صَلَّى وَلَكِنْ كَذَّبَ وَتَوَلَّى Tawalli was mentioned there too. You know he turned away. And there the context was turning away from the prayer. Turning away from praying. Because Salah was mentioned before that. Here Allah Azza wa Jalla is talking about the reminder. The importance of not turning away from reminder. And what kind of people will not benefit. And so it, it, this, this illustrates to us a long-standing struggle of the Messenger وسلم, against the kuffar who kept turning away and kept turning away until it reaches this point. Where Allah says, if they turn away now, 
الْأَكْبَرِ And notice the يُعَذِّب is mudari' So the continuation of the punishment The find the beginning of the ayah Shows you that it is a result of the previous ayah Then as a result Allah will torture Finally the last two ayat إِنَّ إِلَيْنَا إِيَابَهُمْ By the way uh, I, I should have mentioned in the, another uh, uh, element of cohesion between this surah and the previous one In the previous surah Allah mentioned the greatest fire الَّذِي يَصْلَ النَّارَ الْكُبْرَى And here فَيُعَذِّبُهُ اللَّهُ الْعَذَابَ الْأَكْبَرَ Again the greatest, the greatest Both uh, uh, mentioned this إِنَّ إِلَيْنَا إِيَابَهُمْ It is no doubt only to us that their final return will happen The word ruju' means return But iyab is لِمُنْتَهَا uh, الْمَقْصَدِ For the final, final return Meaning once you, know, you, you, you come home, you return home, then you go out again Then you return home, then you go out again even when we go into the graves, that's not a final return because we're coming out of the graves too. But Allah says to, to us is their final, final return. It is only to us that they will return where they're not going anywhere else. Inna ilayna iyabahum. So the first part was the return. The second, thumma inna alayna hisabahum. Then the word thumma here, which means thereafter or the, uh, then, the uh, grammar of it suggests tarakhi fa rutba, meaning. It, it, it isn't just, don't just think they have to return to us. You should know thereafter, inna alayna hisabahum, there is no doubt that their accounting, their, their complete uh, audit has been taken upon us. Alayna means it is mandated on us. We have taken on ourselves to engage in their accounting. Remind yourselves of the ayat we read. فَأَمَّا مَنْ أُوْتِيَ كِتَابَهُ You know, وَرَاءَ ظَهْرِهِ فَأَمَّا مَنْ أُوْتِيَ كِتَابَهُ بِيَمِينِهِ Right? Allah says we've taken upon ourselves to do their hisab. And we learned there that if Allah does the hisab, you're destroyed. And Allah says we've taken upon ourselves to do their hisab. In other words, these people are destroyed. Because the one who, we, we read the, the hadith there also that explained the one who's given hisab and yaseer, what, ha, what happens to him? He shows his deeds and the angel doesn't even look at him. Go man, okay, you go. It's alright, I know what's in there. <laughs> Right? But the one who even gets read, one line gets read out of his book. But what happened here? That's it. Hulika. He's been destroyed. This person's finished. He's doomed. So here Allah Azza wa says, Inna alayna hisabahum. We have taken upon ourselves to do their, their, their audit, their accounting, their, the counting of their deeds. In other words, they have been destroyed. In other words, they have been destroyed. May Allah Azza wa protect us from that destruction and make us from the people of paradise, the highest of it. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.